This is John Quinn, and this is Law Disrupted. And today we get to talk to Temi Omilabu, who's an associate in the Houston office of our firm, Quinn Emanuel. Well, this is part of our series of uh, talking to associates who have interesting backgrounds and have had interesting experiences and journeys in their personal and their legal life that have gotten to them where the point where they are now, an associate in a big law firm specifically, Quinn Emanuel. And Temi has, a, I think, a particularly interesting story in that um, she has a child emigrated from Lagos, Nigeria. Is that right, Temi? Yes, that's right. And tell us about that. How old were you and what do you remember about that transition? Did you move to Houston or someplace else? Sure. Um, so I, I moved to the United States when I was six years old. Um, my dad decided to immigrate for work. He had a background in engineering and oil and gas and was offered a really good opportunity to work abroad. And he took it. I think he told me that it took him about six months to convince my mom to move. She was just <laughs> so tied to her life in Nigeria, but she decided to like trust him and take that leap of faith. And they uh, they immigrated and took me and my two little sisters. And we first settled in Orlando for a few years and then moved to Houston, where I consider to be my second home. So what do you remember about life in, uh, was it Lagos? Yes, uh, in Lagos. What, what do you remember about life in Lagos uh, before you moved to the U.S.? I had and- a lot of really found, like really um, just great memories growing up there. Um, People say that life there is a little bit rough, um, you know, compared to a more developed country like the United States. But when I look back on my childhood and the time I spent there, I just remember being surrounded by family um, and having a really good and easy time. Um, And I think that, you know, despite all of the things that make life hard in more developing countries, as long as you are with people who are dedicated to making your life easier. I think I I didn't really experience a lot of those hardships as a child. And what was the transition like, first in Florida and then in uh, Texas? I remember it being pretty difficult. How how so? I think it was mostly difficult because I had a weird accent that people weren't used to hearing. And you know how kids are, they can be mean. Um, you've, lo- you've lost that accent, by the I way. I have. I uh, think it was partially on purpose, <laughs> just not wanting to be different as a kid. Um, but I think that it's been um, a, an interesting journey of, you know, embracing my roots and, and standing out, but not being, um, while also assimilating in a way. So um, you went to high school in Houston, I'm guessing? Yes, I went to high school in Houston. And and then you went to college. Tell us about that, where you went, what you studied. Yeah, I went to Case Western in Cleveland, Ohio, which, as you can imagine, was very different from Houston. I think that was the first time I had a real winter. Um, So that was pretty rough. But I was drawn Mm -hmm. to Case Western because of their science program. So it's mostly um, a STEM-focused school. And a lot of their strengths are in medicine and engineering and, and the sciences, which is what I thought I wanted to do at first. Um, I think that's where my strengths were in high school. Um, I really loved biology and chemistry, and I thought maybe I'd be a doctor. I got to Case Western, and I took a couple of classes in the humanities departments and found that that was where my strength was. Um, I didn't completely give up my um, science background, though. I um, decided to stay and get a master's in bioethics um, after finishing my um, undergraduate degree in English. So bioethics, I mean, it's uh, 
you may be the first person uh, uh, that I've met who has a degree in bioethics. Uh, how did you end up in that field? That's kind of a real specialty. Yeah, it is. So um, it's really just the ethics issues related to health um, and emerging from inf- advances in biology and medicine and tech. There's a really close connection to public health as well and a lot of crossover with humanities, politics, and law. So that's why I was interested in it. I thought that it would be a good way to merge the interests that I had in more technical sciences and also um, my love for writing humanities and debate and politics and law. So I, I, I spent a lot of time working on issues related to like genomic diagnosis, stem cell research, organ donation, eugenics, but also like structural inequalities and addressing health disparities across different communities and populations. So it was pretty multidisciplinary, which is why I found it so interesting. Well, those are some fascinating subjects. After you graduated, were you able to get a job in, in your field or did you do something kind of adjacent to that? Um, I think it was pretty adjacent. So I worked for two different global health-focused nonprofits, um, working on public and private investment in global health to improve and strengthen healthcare systems abroad. And my specialty area was Sub-Saharan Africa. And were you uh, able to travel back to Africa in that position? And, and, And what kind of things did you do? I did. I was able to travel and work in a couple of different African countries. Um, including Tanzania, Zambia, Zimbabwe, Rwanda, Kenya, and a couple of others. So I really enjoyed that aspect of it. Right. So was this, these are parts of Africa you hadn't seen before? That's right. I had only seen my native Nigeria. Right. So most, most Americans uh, are probably like me, frankly, when you think of sub-Saharan Africa, we don't know these countries. We don't know the, what's distinctive about them. We don't know the languages. We don't know the culture. We don't know the histories. Uh, have you developed an ability to really kind of understand these different cultures and countries? Yes, definitely. And something that I, the first thing I noticed when I started traveling through Sub-Saharan Africa was the way the food differed. <laughs> um, <laughs> So in Kenya, for example, there's a a heavy Indian population and uh, Indian influence. So they have a lot of the African flavors, but with an Indian fusion, which I thought was really fascinating. And then in Southern Africa, the food is a little bit more like in West Africa. Um, And then I found that in Central Africa, it was way different than anything I had ever seen. So I mean, everyone talks about how diverse of a continent Africa is, but even just from one country over to the next, the food being so different was something that caught me by surprise. I mean, did you, do you learn, do you know multiple languages that are spoken in Africa or? I wish I did. (laughs) (laughs) Are you mostly dealing with people who speak English? Most people did have an understanding of English. Um, I was able to pick up a little bit of Swahili um, and uh, I wish I had picked up some more, but the languages are also super diverse. When you went there, were you identified by, the Africans as an African-American, like you're an American? That's such a good question. I think I confused a lot of people because I would speak and I'd have an American accent, but they also knew I was African. And I found that people either related to me right away or were a little bit confused about where I came from. (laughs) Right. Um, Just kind of existing on the border of of two different cultures. Yeah, it seems like you must have had a real ability to uh, be a bridge. 
between what you had learned in the U.S. and Florida and Ohio and Texas and African communities. Right. Yeah. I think I, I would hope that, that that others would agree with that. <laughs> so this your work there was all relating to uh, public health type issues. Yeah, that's right. So um, mostly just studying the different healthcare systems um, and brainstorming and coming up with ideas about how to strengthen those healthcare systems and how to fund those healthcare uh, systems, primarily from a local lens. So what what led you to go to law school? I mean, so far I'm not hearing, like most people who end up in law school, they study political science or maybe economics or, uh, or history. You don't see many bioethicists uh, or public health people who end up going to law school. What, what inspired you to do that? I think it was my role as an advocate. Um, something I really enjoyed in global health was getting to listen to the stories of people in different countries and what their experiences were. Um, there are a lot of people who, whose stories are still, um, you know, who, whose stories were sharp in my mind. For example, I spoke to a woman who um, I believe was in Zimbabwe who was um, dealing with cervical cancer um, and had never heard of you know, vaccines uh-huh. <laughs> and getting to speak to her and talk to her about what vaccines were and, and, and they, how they were safe and how they were developed and advocating and then coming back to the U.S. and, and using that story as fuel to show that we need to you know, put in money and, and, and investment and time into strengthening these other or strengthening um, health systems abroad because in turn that strengthens the global health um, structure, which affects all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it was that advocacy and storytelling and getting to kind of put a voice and a face and a name to these issues that billions of people all over the world are dealing with um, that led me to, to law school. Did you know any lawyers? Did you see uh, at some point, did you cross paths with lawyers and decide, gee, that sounds like a good job. That might be something I would like to do. I did. I, I, I crossed paths with mostly, you know, public health lawyers um, and public interest lawyers generally. I don't think that I knew many corporate lawyers before I actually started law school. Where, where did you go to law school? So I went to law school at Boston University. Oh, another place where it gets cold in the winter. Right. <laughs> How did you choose BU? BU has one of the best health law programs in the country. And um, I visited and was immediately drawn to the program and to the people in it and decided to attend. All right. So you were at that point going to law school still with a, a focus in your mind on health related issues. Yeah, that's right. And then what did you do after graduating from BU and getting your JD degree? So during uh, law school, I realized that I did not want to focus on health law like I thought. Why? What happened? I took a bunch of classes that were completely unrelated to health law and realized that there was so much out there for me and I didn't want to, I guess, silo myself immediately. And I figured I could always return to health law um, if I found that I didn't like other things. And um, as you can guess, I (laughs) never really returned. So tell me, you you fell in love with the securities laws or, (laughs) you know, trade secrets law or what was it? What were the courses that really got your attention? Um, So my first summer, my 1L summer, I actually did an internship at the Manhattan District Attorney's Office um, after taking criminal law during 1L and really liking it and doing well. At the Manhattan DA, I was exposed to all sorts of criminal cases that 
piqued my interest. Um, and as you probably know, the Manhattan DA's office is super busy and has a wide array of cases. Um, that was what kind of inspired me to broaden my horizons. And during my 2L year, I took classes, um, you know, all over and I decided to just be a generalist. After law school, I took an intern or a one-year fellowship at Yale um, in their Office of General Counsel because I was going to have the opportunity to work on a variety of different subject matters from employment to litigation to um, like federal and state regulation. So I thought that'd be a really good primer because um, I knew I wanted to go to a law firm. I thought that'd be a good primer to learn about a bunch of different um, subject areas within the law. Yeah, you know, as you know, we represent a lot of universities, and right. universities are really uh, complicated institutions from a law standpoint, because as you say, you see just all kinds of issues. And I think most universities really are not set up from a legal defensive standpoint, uh, a lot of times to protect themselves and be on top of the issues. They have so many different constituencies, the public, the legislature, the students, the faculty, public opinion generally, the academic you know, community, uh, leaders of universities, and we've seen this in the recent past now in our country, are just pulled in so many different directions. Right. So was that a, was that a good experience in the general counsel's office at Yale? Yeah, it was a great experience. It's a small office. Um, I think about 30 attorneys working for the office. Um, and so it was like I was everyone's associate because I was the youngest and the newest hire. Um, so I worked with almost everybody and, and got to see just how much work goes into running the general counsel's office of the university. I mean, did you give consideration to pursuing that as a career, being a lawyer at a university? I thought about it, but I wanted to do more advocacy and I wanted to really focus on litigation. Uh, so that's why I ended up at Quinn. Well, how, how did we come to your attention? How did the law, our law firm and you get together? So um, I actually heard about Quinn through um, a former fellow in the Office of General Counsel at Yale, who is now at Quinn in the New York office. Um, and so he kind of recruited me into the poll. And so you reached out to the firm, uh, interview took place, you got an offer and you joined. Is that basically how it happened? Yep, that's basically how it happened. <laughs> and, and you just said you wanted to go to the Houston office rather than Boston or, or New York? So I'm actually in the New York office. Oh, so I got that wrong. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. From Houston in the New York office. All right. Um, do you identify as a Texan? I do. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a part of me I just will never be able to get rid of. Right. Texans are proud, proud, proud of their, the Lone Star State. We really are. <laughs> uh, and how many, how long have you been with our firm? So we started in the fall of 2022, so it's been a year and some change. And can you give us an idea of some of the things that you've worked on, what your experience has been? Um, so I've, I've had a pretty good experience. I've been pretty busy from the start. Um, something that really stuck out to me when I was interviewing different at different law firms for joining was that everyone said that Quinn was the sort of place where you'd get substantive or, um, experience early on. And that has definitely been true for me. Um, I was involved in a case where I was uh, second chair to three different depositions within the first two to three months of joining the firm. 
Um, I also went to trial within my first year for a pro bono case, and I um, uh, got to work on a multi-district civil litigation case. I drafted a, a number of motions to dismiss and an amicus brief. So I, I got to do a lot um, in, in just a year. So, so far, met your expectations? I would say exceeded. <laughs> well, are there some things we can, I can take it. Are there some things we can do better? I'm not thin-skinned. I mean, what would you like to see <laughs> Quinn Emanuel maybe do a little bit differently? Hmm. Well, I think one thing that um, that we could do better is I think new associates, when we join the firm, could use a little bit more guidance. Mm. Now, one of Quinn's strengths is that we are given a lot of independence and there seems to be a high level of trust in associates. Um, and that's been really great because that sort of forces you to learn quickly and to develop your own style early on. But at the same time, um, if you're coming in without as much litigation experience, it would be good to have a little bit of guidance. <laughs> right. Um, so uh, I think that's something that I, I thought about when I was still brand new. Maybe something more of a, you know, kind of introduction program to the firm and where this is where you can get pencils and these are our policies on this and that. And exactly. I'm still not exactly sure where I could get pencils if I needed them. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. I, I started a long time ago, um, 1976, at the Cravath firm in New York. Mm -hmm. And there was no, no explanation for anything. Uh, you just started. You had the partner you were assigned to. And we shared offices. Mm -hmm. uh, there, so there was the window person and the door person. The junior person had the was the door person close to the door, and the senior person got the window. And I actually I've always thought I really learned from that because look, they tell you you're a lawyer, and you now you have clients. What does that mean? How do I deport myself? How do I talk to people? And you'd have a senior person behind you talking on the phone. You saw how they dealt with people, how they conducted themselves. And it was kind of a real live learning experience about what it means to be a lawyer. And uh, well, that was always my argument why the advantages of sharing an office. Uh, I don't think anybody, uh, I've made that speech several times and I don't think anybody really agrees with me at our firm, but I do think that was, that was valuable for me. Yeah. Yeah. I think that would have been, I think that would have been really helpful. So, um, as you know, we have a firm hike every year. We've done that for 30 odd years. And yes. this last year, it was in Hong Kong. I, I, I think you told me you went on that hike. I did. I went on the firm hike to Hong Kong. Well, tell us about the experience. It was pretty great. Um, the hike itself was really hard. Um, I remember being about halfway through and thinking, I'm not sure I can finish this. Um, but it was also really rewarding and I'm happy I went. Um, I think I, I bonded with people from offices I never would have met otherwise and got to see Hong Kong for a few days. So no it's regret. Great. It's a great city. Beautiful yeah, city, isn't I it? I loved it. Incredible. Well, I just having talked to you and spent this time with you, I, I think you have the potential to be a killer a trial lawyer. I wouldn't want to go up against you in front of a jury. You're immensely likable. People listening can't see your beautiful smile. Uh, I, I I think you have a great future as a as an advocate. Thanks, John. That means a lot. I look forward to seeing you develop. Thank you. I appreciate it. We've been talking to Temi Omilabu, an associate in the New York office 
of Quinn Emanuel about her associate journey. This is John Quinn, and this has been Law Disrupted.